Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to Trust and Believe. I'm your host, Sean T, and today is a cut up. But we also going to talk about some very important things. We're going to school you on what it was like to grow up in the earlier pandemic, the HIV AIDS epidemic. We're also going to talk about how race and sexuality affects your growth. I have an incredible guest today. His name is LZ Grandison. But I'm just tell y'all right now, buckle your seatbelts and strap in because it gets all the way real. We're going to the gay club. Somebody say it again. No, no, no. What's up? It's better than Oprah. Come on, y'all. This is Sean T and it's time to trust and believe. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. So before I even met you through our friend Brian at a wedding, so I just want to let y'all know, I met LZ at a wedding. He was officiating a wedding of Brian and Bill, our friends. But anyway, before I met you, you know, I knew of you. You know what I mean? You have a big personality. You have, I was always kind of fascinated by your hair, which is why one of the reasons why, why I don't have my dreads in there, but you know, you're a lot, a lot of extensions. But you just, you just have a big personality, a big Thank smile. You. you literally live out loud. <laughs> so where does it come from? Because, you know, we all have a story, you know, and we all have oh. like kind of this coming of age story. And I see you, especially when I see you on the commentating tennis and seeing you in these roles, but then I also know you personally. And I just love how you're able to marry it together. But I just want to know how, what was like, what is the coming of age story of you? First of all, thank you for those really kind words. I was a huge fan of yours before Brian's wedding. And so when I saw you there, I was like, this bitch, no Shanti, he tell me shit. <laughs> He tell me shit. I was like, B got you in the cut and didn't tell me a damn thing. The I was like, cut. he be trying to keep his black friends separated. I was like, well, I it's funny because doing. I met him through Scott. So I was, you know, a huge fan of tennis. And he was like, oh, I have a friend, you know, Brian Vahaley, whatever. And, and, you know, it was really cool because he told me kind of Brian's coming out story because, you mm-hmm. know, as a professional tennis player, you don't hear of anyone coming out or being gay. You know, I was one of his hidden ones. <laughs> <laughs> hidden gems, if you will. One of, one of those hidden, gem, one of those caramel gems, funny. Okay, <laughs> so funny, so funny. So you ask, where does it come from? And 
I think at the heart of it, it's just an appreciation that I'm still here, man. Mm. To be quite honest with you. Like, mm. I don't want to go like deep, deep, deep. Into, go deep. Like, <laughs> this is trust and believe. Go deep. All right. Well, you know, like I've attempted suicide multiple times, right? Mm. I've, you know, I've been shot at. I've mm. been, the first time I was mugged in Detroit, I wasn't even in kindergarten yet. And it was a mm. grown man and it was at knife point. Like, like I've had a lot of trauma and let's just say life presented me with a lot of opportunities to tap. And, you know, a couple of times I try to take life up on it, but God had other plans. And it really was just a coming to terms with this, with this idea. And I had this idea before I saw other people express it beautifully. But essentially the idea was God doesn't give you anything you can't handle, Mm -hmm. you know, and throughout life, particularly once I got into college, you know, I was constantly being reminded of that in different ways. You know, sometimes it'd be a different way it was being phrased, right? Like my struggles were preparing me in order to have my triumphs, you know, and, you know, things of that nature. And so, you know, I'm almost 50, man. You know, this body has kept me alive through not one, but two global pandemics between mm. HIV AIDS and now obviously, you know, COVID. This body didn't get shot, though <laughs> so they tried to get me. This body, you know, has been through a lot and we're still here. And so I, I try to keep that in mind. So even though, and you, you know me, you know my work, I take the issues that I write about and comment on very seriously. Yes, you And do. I take the work very seriously. But I don't take myself very seriously. I take you seriously, even when we're being crazy, because I'm just like, I'm so inspired by your freedom of expression. And like I said, when I see you doing your work, you're still you. Yeah, you'll get the point across and, you know, but you still you're your authentic self. And I think that's really great. So my friend Chip posted yesterday a, uh, a reel about how gay men can't donate blood or i i went back to the day where we couldn't donate blood and then it made me start thinking about the hiv aids epidemic and there's a lot of people who may have never watched paris is burning they may have never watched documentaries on the struggle of that pandemic and so just briefly i would love for you to school people on what it was like during that pandemic especially when it was gay men being discriminated against as we were trying to find our way through in a lot of ways i i'm here because of decisions my mother made for me Mm. (laughs) and this is what i mean and i'm sure you're going to appreciate it because you have a performing arts background as well yes i danced most of my life up until like 18 19 years old like was professionally trained classically trained dancer it's really really complicated because i also so drugs on the side. So it's, it's like, I'm like all the stuff and none of the stuff at the same time. It's like, really he was like, crazy. let me give you a pirouette real quick. Hold on. Let me run to the corner. Let me run to the corner. Like, it was the reason why I was able to dodge those bullets. Cause I was able to create out the way. <laughs> it's a different it's, kind of duck. And he was like, <laughs> exactly. Oh, um, and so I got accepted into the Albanese school of dance. Coming out of college, Judith Jamison basically handpicked me, if you will. She came to our school. My dance instructor had been friends and associates of hers in the past. She came in, taught this huge workshop, and I auditioned and I got in. So, so, you know, I was thinking I was going to go to New York and be a professional dancer graduating from college in 1990. 
which, as you know, Albany School of Dance is in New York City. We know what 1990 was like during the height of the AIDS epidemic. Mm. And my mom basically said, no, you are not going to New York. <laughs> and now wow. at the time I was closeted and wasn't really exploring, you know, aspect that aspect of my sexual orientation. You know, I was sleeping with girls, but I really wasn't sleeping with guys. But I was cognizant that there was some same-sex attraction there. Of course. And I was also cognizant of the fact that I wasn't naturally sleeping with women. Like, so I was aware of a little bit of the the mind game and the work that I had to do to maintain this heterosexual sort of presentation, though I didn't have the vocabulary. My mom saying no to me going to Albany School of Dance probably saved my life. You know, closeted, you know, gay black boy being dropped into New York. I would have slept around. I, Based upon the way I slept around in college, I know I would have slept around (laughs) in New York. I definitely probably would have been at high risk of contracting HIV AIDS at like 18 years old. And given where we were in terms of medications and and et cetera, and where the science was, you know, there's a good chance I may not be here. So in a lot of ways, my relationship with the HIV AIDS crisis was avoided because of my mother. However, I was still very much aware of the discrimination that gay men in particular faced in the heart of the pandemic. And I did lose my mentor and very, very close friend, Tony, to HIV AIDS. I was in college. I had accepted a dance scholarship to Western Michigan. So I was in school still for dance, just not in New York, but I was in Michigan. And I get a phone call and I'm told that Tony's in the hospital and that he's dying. And, Mm. you know, we never discussed his sexual orientation when I was younger. And I had known Tony for, I want to say, a good 10 years at this point. And as I said, he was my mentor. He was one of the dance instructors at the school. And then I got of age and good enough. I was able to perform with him on stage with this dance company back in Detroit. And so I loved him a great deal. And he invested a lot of time and energy into my life. And when he died, um, it was just, and it still is, I can feel myself, <clears throat> you know, getting emotional because mm. there he was supposed to have been, you know, my Mr. Miyagi. You know, mm. he was supposed to let me know what to avoid and what not to avoid. And he was supposed to be the one that told me, no, you don't want to go out with that one. Or he was the one supposed to tell me I was being messy. And right. I, you know, I lost him mm-hmm. and had to kind of figure out a lot of that stuff for my own, as many of us Gen Xers did. You know, a lot of Gen Xers, you know, people who were just coming of age, 17, 18, 19 years old <clears throat> in the 80s and into the 90s, you know, we're the Gen Xers that lost all that wisdom. And I think about that a lot when I try to mentor and be a good mentor to LGBTQ youth, you know, from the millennial generation or Generation Z. So back in the day in New York City, they used to have the balls. And so (laughs) all of what you see now, these Victoria's Secret fashion shows, the way people walk down a runway, all of it, you know, the Beyonce's of the world, that all came from gay black culture in New York City and Latino culture in New York City back in the day. So they used to have these houses that would show up to the ball. So the houses were made up of basically drag queens or whomever, (laughs) whatever they identified themselves as at the time. And they would have these houses and it'd be the mother of the house. And so even though this person may have only been like maybe five or seven years older, all of the people that lived in that house under her were her children. And so Mm -hmm. this 
matriarch of the house became the I guess the best way to say is just the mentor kind of like you explained it became the mentor and so in New York City that's how it was but we all and listening to you we all had that mentor that yes kind of like helped us through so mine was a, a, a gentleman by the name of Bill Myers he was my my mentor at in college and uh, for my Alpha Phi Alpha fraternity chapter and so you know, and he was just like such a profound figure. He didn't pass away of HIV, he passed away of a heart attack. But, you know, he kept us, I, I'm going to say this and I'm going to be very upfront. He kept my legs closed. Okay. Like he's the one that saved my life. Like he's the one that's like, here's the condom. Here's this. Like he wow. took us and he took all the gay brothers and was like, listen, y'all, like y'all going to have to keep it together. But anyway, I, I just wanted to explain to people that in that show. That is amazing. Pose, and it, it happened to all of us just like in different ways. That is absolutely amazing. Shout out for you for being an alpha, by the way. I, I, you know what? I should have known because you, you, you have you have Kappa energy because you're a pretty boy. What? The shade of it what? all. No, there is no shade in being a pretty boy. Oh, What's wrong with not you? Not a Kappa, not a Kappa, not a Kappa. Well, the, I'm, my, <laughs> listen, you're the one throwing the shade. I'm just saying I thought you were one. Because you little little light like, skinned pretty boy, that's what we knew the Kappas to be. Ooh, I love that you're giving these kids some black culture today. Yes. <laughs> I was always called I was always called a pretty boy because I was younger. And I'm even for you know, this is my real skin tone if you're watching this on YouTube. But I was always very, very light skinned as a kid. Like I mm -hmm. was I had red hair. My my son one of my sons has red hair, blondish hair. And yeah, I was called a pretty boy. And See? I I guess. But See, the Kappas on my campus, the Kappas on my campus were actually darker skin. They weren't the, they really? weren't the super lights. The alphas were considered like, we were considered, on my, on my campus, we were considered scholarly and right. somewhat attractive. No, I mean, Dr. King was an alpha, so, you know. I do know that. I do know that. <laughs> anyway, so I cut you off because I wanted to tell people about mentors, but... So you had this mentor, you're so, going so through college. Yes, yes. And, you know, he passed away. And, you know, I don't, I don't know if that triggers something in me or not, but it definitely, I definitely found myself on a path of evangelical Christianity. And that's mm. how I ended up, you know, on the path of, you know, eventually marrying a woman and trying to pray the gay away. And again, I don't know if it was strictly because of, of Tony's passing, but I, I got to assume it was certainly was a was a, a factor in my decision to, you know, not only just remain closeted, but, you know, really kind of run to something that I thought was going to protect me from what I thought being gay meant. Let's explain to people what it's like to live that life, because I think that this answer will help people who don't quote unquote agree with gay <laughs> or they think that it's a choice. I think it'll help them understand like the struggles you go through when you're trying to live that life is, is not something you ask for. So what was that like? It was hard. <laughs> I mean, it was, it, I mean, there's no other way to say it when, you know, you don't have anyone out in your life. And as I said, Tony was in my life, but he wasn't out. We never discussed any, 
issues dealing with sexual orientation or gender presentation or anything like that. And I was very young and I think he was being very careful, smartly so, mm. not to get those conversations going with someone who was a minor because that probably would not look right to a lot of people on the outside looking in, right? Even though he right. was just being a mentor for me. So we never had those discussions. And so I never really had a, a, a mentor who was out. And I didn't really know anyone who was out. The only person I knew who was even gay was Billy Crystal's character from Soap. Like, and no. yeah, that was it. Wow. You know, now good thing, you know, Billy was cute back in the day. So I was like, all right, well, I can look at this. You got married. Had you at that time ever experienced with a man before? When I was married? Yeah. Before yeah, you yeah. were married. Right. Before I was married. Yeah, I had. Oh, okay. I don't remember necessarily enjoying the relationship or the experimentation because those days were filled with complete fear and anxiety. Mm. And so when I think about, you know, the interactions that I had with men sexually or with young boys, my, you know, myself being a young boy sexually, it wasn't like a discovery period. It was a period of a lot of fear and anxiety for me. Yeah, like constantly knowing it's wrong. Constantly knowing that it's wrong, constantly worried I'm going to get caught, constantly worried that I wouldn't be able to play sports, you mm -hmm. know, because you got to remember, there aren't any openly gay professional athletes, you know. I'm look. I'm growing up. I'm watching Billy Sims, you know, running back for Detroit Lions, Isaiah Thomas. Like, these are my heroes and, you know, playing basketball in the hood you damn sure can't show any sort of, you know, perceived weakness in your masculinity. Not to mention you're what, like 6'4"? Uh, I'm 6'2", and I shot up to 6'2", I think, like, by my sophomore year in high school. So it's I was always, crazy. like, so I'm always, like, a, like the big kid on the court anyway. And <laughs> I had game. Don't forget that part. Like, Let's I, not get it twisted, okay? Let's not right? get it twisted. In fact, I shouldn't even be using past tense. I still got gay. I... <laughs> <laughs> using past tense, yes, but that shit's gone. No. But, I, you know, <laughs> I played all the time. And so in my head, I couldn't be gay because I was a good basketball player. And mm. I couldn't be gay because while people were using, you know, slurs in school, they weren't necessarily directed towards me. So that means that I was passing, right? So yeah, I, yeah. I, in my head, like nothing was making sense. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. And so by the time I got to college and became an evangelical Christian, that made all the sense in the world to me that I was being attacked by the devil. And that's the reason why my mind was conflicted and that things weren't clear. It was because the mm. devil was attacking me. It wasn't until, you know, I came out and really started going to therapy and finding a church home that didn't demonize who I was, but actually validated who I was. that I realized my head wasn't confused because the devil was under attack, was attacking me. My head was confused because society was sending conflicting messages. Society was saying things like, oh, well, you're going to go to hell, but our choir director can be gay. <laughs> right. <laughs> you're going to go to hell. But we're not going to acknowledge all of 
all of the LGBTQ people who were an essential element of the Harlem Renaissance that helped guide us through that period in American history. Yes. And then when I really, really get turned on is when I found out that Bayer Rustin organized the March on Washington. And so I was like going, so I'm going to hell, but the person who organized the most significant protest rally in the history of this country was openly gay and Dr. King knew about it. (laughs) Right. The Reverend Dr. King Jr. knew about it. So I'm sitting here like going, oh, well, it's not the devil that's attacking me. It's society that's attacking me. That's why I'm confused. And once I was able to sort of get that kind of clarity, Sean, um, life was a lot better. (laughs) You know, I was no longer in conflict with myself, you know, Mm. and I learned to forgive myself easier and I learned to love myself more. And I understood the importance of suspending or offering grace for other people because I knew where I was at that time. And so it just kind of informed the way that I interact with people who might be homophobic or who might feel like they can't come out or whatever their presence happens to be. And I think, you know, like you, you know, we're very similar in that. Having that empathy and having grace allows you to be a a really good listener and podcast host. You know, you you. you host a wide variety of people on your podcast, what we do over ABC with Life Out Loud. You know, thank you very much for being a guest. I can't wait for people to hear your episode. I can't either. It's so, so freaking good. But when people begin to share their truths, you're able to have these conversations with them because you've taken the time to do the work yourself to understand your own truths. You were talking about having to come out and having to live this life and being in the church and everybody's gay, but nobody's talking about it. But we as gay people, we as black people, and I mean, gay people, black people, all the filtering to everyone in the world. Like I I say in my book, everybody's in a closet about something. I think that culturally, specifically with black gay men in the church, while we are the ones up there singing, honey, and we are the one choreographing the praise dance. At the same time, we're the ones that's you know the ones that's going to be in fire and brimstone, honey. Okay, so let's get it. Let's so we can we can create all this amazingness for you. We're helping the pastor help you put those ties and offerings in the plate so he can have a house and a roof over his head. But we're the ones that's going to hell. I'm gonna kind of skip ahead a little bit. Okay. So I need to know. How a gay, loud black man worked his way up in mainstream media. I think the hardest part of getting to where I am is knowing how much further I would have been had people not tried to hold me back for being gay. You know, Mm. like I look, I still, and I shouldn't do this, and I'm trying not to do this more and more. It's like one of the things that I'm working with my therapist about. But there are times which I'm angry. You know, damn right I'm angry. Because I'm sitting there and I'm like, okay, this dude's an idiot. And y'all are paying him what? To say what? To do what? (laughs) (laughs) Meanwhile, I was told repeatedly that I wasn't being hired by sports departments specifically because I was gay. I was being told this straight up. This is the 90s. This is the 90s. This is when we were kicking people out of the military for being gay. So let's not act as if, you know, what I'm saying, you know, is is so full of hyperbole. It is not. We know for a fact people were losing their jobs for being gay. Teachers losing their jobs just for being gay. So I was not hired by a number of sports departments because I was openly gay. 
And so by the time I actually got my footing at ESPN, which was 17, 18 years ago, I was already in my 30s. Whereas perhaps if I wasn't, you know, being, you know, denied, not because of my talent or because of, you know, the hard work I'd put in, but simply because of my sexual orientation, you know, who knows? I might have been at ESPN in my 20s, right? Mm. So there's that, that, that what if and how the discrimination impacted that what if that, you know, I wrestled with from time to time. And I, again, I know I shouldn't and you can't look back and, you know, all that good stuff, but I'm just being real with where I'm at in life. But with that being said, God has blessed me too, man. Like really, really blessed me. <laughs> there was a point, Sean, I was in love with this dude in Chicago. You couldn't tell me shit about him. And so I was trying to get this job uh, in Chicago. And I would apply at the Chicago Sun-Times. I would apply at the Chicago Tribune. Every single newspaper in the Chicagoland area I tried to get a job at. And none of them would hire me. Like, none of them Mm -hmm. hired me. None of them hired me. And it was so frustrating because I was like, if I can just get a job in Chicago, then we'll be together and da-da-da-da-da-da. Cha, he broke up with me. <laughs> oh, no. In the most scandalous of ways. Fast forward a few years later. I'm working at CNN. I'm mm. at ESPN, doing well with my life. I run into this guy back in Chicago. What? You know what he said to me? No. Had I known you were going to really be famous, I would have never broken up with you. And that was supposed to make you feel better? That was supposed to be a compliment. Now, here, here, let me tell you how God works, though, man. Let me tell you how God works. Because when I first saw him, I was like, my heart fluttered a little bit. Because those feelings were still, I buried them, but they weren't dead. So I saw him, I was like, oh, man, he's still cute, you know, blah, 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 blah. I was like, I wonder how he's doing. That was the first thing out of his mouth. And I was like, that's how he's doing. About the same. And you're like, I dodged a bullet. I was like, I dodged a bullet. Because you would have never been worth anything if you are considered a material thing. All of that has a point to the larger conversation, which is you, you asking me how did I make my way up? And me wrestling with, you know, the discrimination that I felt. I also am reminded of, you know, something that the great Rascal Flat sung about, which is the broken road led me straight to you. And... Mm-hmm. The path that I was on, the heartache, the heartbreaks, the job denials, the position denials, all of that prepared me for where I am, for where I am right now in media and where I am right now in life. And, you know, what I thought I needed, I actually just wanted. And God, you know, thankfully was busy preparing the road that I needed to be on while keeping me off the road that I thought I should be on or that I wanted to be on because of I wanted prestige or I wanted that guy or I wanted to live in that city. Like a lot of things didn't pan out for me that I thought were obstacles when really they weren't for me, you Mm -hmm. know? And that guy wasn't for me. That job in Chicago wasn't for me. Living in Miami wasn't for me. What I was presented and what eventually came to be may not necessarily have been hand in hand, but it was exactly what I needed when I needed it. So I I tried to like keep that in mind, even though 
when I was going through those periods of discrimination, Sean, it was incredibly frustrating. Like, obviously, you know, you start asking yourself, why did I bother coming? You know, you, you see others getting credit for the work that you've done. Knowing that you could do this incredible work and knowing that you've been discriminated against, was there ever a time where you felt like you were only given the job because you were black and or because you were different? And, and how did that make you feel? I never felt that way. I never felt that I was given a job because I was gay or because I was black. But I always felt that people looked at me that way. I just never like kind of experienced like, well, we have to fill this slot because of their ethnicity or because of diversity and inclusion. And I've always wanted to ask somebody that. But if but in the same breath, you also said that you felt they looked at you as mm-hmm. that and not just as like this incredibly talented person, you know. And, and, you know, that's not unique to me or you or a lot of people who are, you know, especially, you know, racially minorities, but just sort of minorities in general, you know, having people look at you and you're wondering whether or not they're looking at you genuinely or with this view of sympathy because they think that you're just a diversity hire Mm. and you don't truly deserve to be where you are. I think a lot of us and women talk about this, this dynamic a lot, having this imposter syndrome, right? Where Mm -hmm. because they are unique in a space, there's this feeling that you don't belong there and that you're somehow pretending to be something that you're not. And, you know, when it came to the topics in the areas of politics, as well as sports, like I've been covering politics, you know, since, you know, the 90s. Wow. <laughs> you know, and wow. I had been a sports fan since the 70s, like decades and decades of time and work and more importantly, interest in these areas that I'm in today. And yet you can feel when people don't necessarily think you belong and you begin to, you know, theorize why they may harbor those feelings. And obviously the conversation of of quotas and diversity hires come up and there's a little bit of imposter syndrome that can creep up. But, you know, just like you, like you're extremely talented. Thank you. And inspirational and you worked your ass off and you earned where you are in this world. And yet there will be people who would discount all of that hard work, all of that talent and say, well, you're just this because of that. And you know what? They are searching for reasons why they're not there. Mm. Right. And they're it may make where them they want to be. Yeah. Right. And it may make them feel better to say, it's not that I didn't work hard enough or that I wasn't talented enough. It was because they're handing out opportunities to other people for other reasons. And that would make yeah. certain people feel better about that. But you know, you belong where you are. You earned it. Thank you. And I feel and the same so way about me. I was going to say, and so do you. And oh. so let's talk about current day. So let's talk about how you <laughs> met your husband. We we know you were married to a woman before, but let's right. bring you back to your side, okay? Let's <laughs> let's find out about him. Okay, let's get to let's get the real tea going on. You know, it's interesting. So we were having this conversation earlier about mentorship, right? Mm -hmm. And I was at this bar years ago because I was a volunteer at our local LGBTQ youth center. 
And my mentees had been begging me to meet them out at this bar to party and drink. And I never did because I never thought it was appropriate for that to happen. But some of them were graduating from college and I may not have saw them again. And so it was like, okay, sure, let's, you know, let's hang out. And yeah. so I go and I meet them there and it's early. Like it's like 830 because I'm not going, y'all ain't going to have me out here late at night having people talk about me dance with children. I ain't going, I'm not going to have that. <laughs> so I'm at this bar like 830 or something like that. And like around 845, 9 o'clock, this group of people walk in and my husband Steve's among them. And I kid you not, I had a I had a buddy with me because, again, I just wanted to make sure I had backup in case, you know, something weird happened. And so I looked and I was like, holy cow, that is the most handsome guy I had ever seen in my life. I brought my buddy Octavian over um, to be my wingman. And the plan was, <laughs> Sean, is that he was going to talk to the guys and kind of set me up, you know, with the good looking one that I wanted to talk to. And I was talking to the women in the group and I was going to hook him up because he was straight. And so oh, we see, were that's do- the best people don't know about that combo though. Come on people now. don't dog. know about that combo. They Come don't know on. about the gay straight combo and how powerful it is. Come listen, through. Listen, we, listen, we join forces. We slay the world. <laughs> Y'all tripping. Y'all Yo, tripping. that's what I'm trying. Listen, I'm looking at the camera right now to all the straight guys out there that are afraid to hang out with the gay guys. Listen, we are the best wingman. We will find your girl. We will look her up and down. Dog. We will feel her energy. We will <laughs> tell them, tell them, Elsa. Tell them. Listen, man. Let's y'all tripping. I'm just, I'm just saying, you can roll with dudes that you'll be in competition with, or you can roll with dudes that are gonna try and glow up for you. And yo, get a gay man to go out with you. Be the best wingman. Come through. The best. The best. So I brought my I brought my straight buddy with me into the gay club because I was like going, yo, there are always straight women in these clubs. And if they know that you're comfortable in this environment, they might think you're gay. But once you get past that, they're like going, oh, you're cool and you're confident and you're comfortable in your own skin. And that's an attractive trait. So he was talking to the, the gay dude to try to make sure that when I swung over, I was good. And I was talking to the women. To, so when we switched off, you know, they would think he was an amazing guy. There was one problem. Uh-oh. My buddy Octavian and I played tennis against each other all the time. Talk about sports all the time. He never really believed I was gay because of it. (laughs) (laughs) And so he sort of insinuated like, "Uh, you know, I don't know. He might be gay. I don't really think he is. Blah, 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 blah. Was kind of the way he was talking. And it almost things up. When When I make the handoff, you know, he's talking to the girls. But Steve is just like, hey, how you doing? I was like, hey, I'm good. And he's like, oh, well, I guess I'll talk to you later. And he just rolls. Oh, no. And so I'm like going, huh. I got drunk that night. <laughs> I kept drinking because I couldn't believe like he just dissed me like that. So I rode up on him again. And I was like, yo, what's up? Like, you know, I'm not your type. You don't like black dudes. You don't like tall dudes. You don't like, like what? He was like, what are you talking about? I thought you were straight. And I was like, oh. straight. I was like, what do you mean straight? I'm in this gay club. My pants are tight. There's holes everywhere. Why would you think I was straight? <laughs> And he was like, well, your buddy sort of said, blah, 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 blah. And I was like, ah, fuck. He's from the Ukraine. He don't know. I ain't straight. So once we cleared up, I wasn't straight. We were like smashing face 10 minutes later and the rest is history. Oh, I love it. That is the best. (laughs) So how long have you been married? We've been married like 
legally married like a little over five years. Cool. Congratulations. So basically when the Supreme Court said, all right, we can, let's stop fucking around. That's when we went ahead (laughs) and got married. But yeah, that's how we met, man. And, you know, I still wake up and I just go, damn, he just not getting fired. I thought he was fine before, but he actually is just now getting fine. See, people be sleeping because I say that about Scott. Like I've always thought Scott was like dreamy oh, like, he is. from the moment I met oh, him. He is. But like, even now I'm like, yo, he just turned 50 and I'm here for all of it. Oh, I know. Cause I follow you on Instagram. Let's get into it. I, I was like, I was like somebody, if, if Stephanie Mills feel the fire was a person, that would be you. <laughs> You know what? We're going to have to have a a key in the show notes so people can actually understand. But they they can can Google it. No, no, no. You know what? You can Google or or you can tune in to Life Out Loud because we actually interviewed Miss Stephanie Mills. Oh, my gosh. And let me me tell you, she brings it all. She she brought stuff that ABC was like going, yeah, we can't have that in the... the There's some colorful language here. We're going to have to. (laughs) But I love it. You know what I love about your podcast is like you really, regardless of whether they edit things out, you are so great at getting people to just live. Like, and Mm -hmm. I think that that's really tough to do because as a professional, as a writer, as someone that's been on mainstream TV, you just have this like uncanny way of just getting people to be like, you know what? I'm going, I'm going to bear it all. And just kind of like my podcast with trust and believe, like I dig in here to like help people get it out and there's nothing off limits. And you're like, well, let's start out here. Let's start out here. Let's, let's, let's start in this free space. And I think it's just, it's, it's really great. You all, you all have to go check out LZ's show. It's incredible. Especially your episode. You know, my producer and I, we talked a lot about how you were just ready to rock and roll. And I was like, I was like, he's got some stuff he wanted to say. And I'm so glad I was here for it. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Well, I think that, you know, one of the things that I definitely hear with you, even when you tell past stories and we share this, is that we're always on a path of growth Mm -hmm. because I think because we grew up similarly, we struggle in similar ways. We had a coming of age. We 
you know, the pandemics that we both lived through and the fear, it's like, in a way, while it was bad, the silver lining is we're always ready. We're always ready to grow. We're always ready to not be afraid to be who we are because we've already hit ourselves for so long. And I think that's what people don't really understand about just the struggles that we had as black men, as gay men. It's like, just like I posted on my Instagram yesterday, I'm like, I was already in the closet. There's literally no reason for me to go back in there. And right. at the same time, I'm still looking to figure out how I can grow in 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 my current space, you know? You know, I think about how what I wanted in a partner or hope to have in a partner has changed over the years too, right? Mm. Like, obviously, when you're young, you know, looks have a lot to do with it. And it takes some some lumps to figure out you need some other things too in order to have a successful relationship. And, you know, I'm going to bring this up because I know you understand where I'm coming from. Mm -hmm. Thought I just had to be with a black man. Mm. And if you were black and queer between the years 1997 (laughs) and maybe like 2000, I was trying to get on. I was trying to get on. And, you know, I think in a lot of ways, trying to politicize my romantic life was harmful in some oh, ways wow. because you shouldn't be with someone to make a statement about something other than I love you. Right. And once I moved past that sort of militarization of my romantic life, and the reason why I was so focus on being with a black man is, was because of the fact that, you know, that is such a radical expression of love. You know, it's one, it was what I knew, right? I grew up around black men. So, you know, that was a very comfortable thing. But I also was very cognizant of the fact that loving a black man, whether you were a black woman, a white woman, or another black man, was always seen as like this radical sort of expression. Like, Right. Because black men were supposed to be unlovable is kind of the way that we're positioned in society and the way that we are, we are indoctrinated in society. Mm -hmm. We are, we aren't supposed to be lovable people. And so I really searched high and and had some good misses. I will say that I (laughs) I ain't mad at it, but not once I decided no longer that I needed to be with someone for a, for a statement other than love, that's when love really showed up in its fullest. So it's, and you were able to open your mind. I think that's the thing too. It's like, you don't trap yourself into a box, even like a really interesting story that I have never really spoke about. I don't think on a podcast before, but my, from ancestry.com, I found out I have a half sister. Oh, wow. And my biological father, whom I've never met before had got a white woman pregnant in high school. And so her, and that her mother took her out of school. She had a baby. They gave the baby up for adoption and she went back in school. And it was because she got pregnant by a black man. And so we, I never knew what number one, I never met him before, but I never knew that I had this sister until ancestry.com. And so I got this match one, one time. And all of a sudden I have this half sister and we are, it all came out that, you know, my 
biological father got this woman pregnant a year before he had got my mom pregnant. And I just wanted to tell that story to bring some some color to it, literally, that mm-hmm. this these things still happen, still happen, and they still happen. Yeah, they yeah. still happen. Oh, people come for me, dog. Like I don't know if they come for you. They come for me, but they, they come, come for me. me. The thing that I hate when, especially gay black men, come at me for being with a white man, I'm like, you are literally being exactly how you don't want people to be to us right why do i have to why should i deny love because of the color of someone's skin right just like if you walk into a store and you want to shop and someone denies you the ability to shop because of color of your skin how is that right right like why love has no color and we we say that love is love but you know i do get that backlash sometimes of people are being like oh well I'm like, I had straight women call me a waste of a man because oh, I was gay. And now I seriously. have, and I've had black gay men call me a waste of a man because I'm with a white guy. I'm like, so I can't win, but you still want to win. <laughs> but you want to, you want to now discriminate against your own kind. You're doing the same thing, bro. Come on. Right. It, it's, it's amazing how people don't see that connection there. You know, but, you know, and especially when you start talking about like the issues that I write about, right? I, I write a lot about racial issues and systemic racism and things of that nature. And inevitably, you know, people will slide into my DMs or send me these emails about, you know, you know, you betrayed your own race, da 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 da. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, am I not being clear on what I'm trying to say? You're being clear, their baggage. And their insecurities are creeping in, and that's why they feel like right. they have to comment in the way that they do. And, and dropping all this stuff all over my, my lawn. Get your stuff out of my lawn. My grass is pristine. My lawn looks fantastic. I don't need your trash. But, I mean, it's it's a real, you know, thing. And you're right. It still happens. You know, my husband, who is white, has dealt with people, not necessarily why are you with them, but asking, like, what is it like being with a black man? Yeah, like like you're visiting a foreign country or something. <laughs> I've right. never been to Portugal. I'm what like, is it like? <laughs> you know, like, like it's just a human with some skin. You know, like why are you tripping? I always ask my guests, you know, to define trust and believe. To define trust and believe, <clears throat> for me, it is very simple. <clears throat> trust and believe starts with letting it go. Whatever that it is, when you hear let it go, however you define the it, that's what it is. So for some people, it's a past hurt. For some people, it's opportunities, as I mentioned before, that were missed or were held back for them. For some people, it is, you know, simply going on a first date after having your heart broken. You know, in order to trust and believe, you first have to let it go. Mm -hmm. So I define trust and believe by the courage it takes to move on from that it whatever that it happens to be awesome LZ thank you so much I appreciate it